0: Hey everyone, it's Jason. Welcome to Searching the Sacred. You are listening to episode two of our series on Ruth. We are slowly making our way through this dynamic book that has such timeless truths to teach us about what it means to be human, the way we navigate hard things, the way we navigate loyalty, the faith, trust, the way we navigate community. And So we are excited to continue this conversation and to ask you to join that conversation By becoming a patron of this podcast, going to patreon.com, search Searching the Sacred. And once you become a patron for as little as a dollar a month, we are making a discussion guide available each week with a new episode of this series. So join us on Patreon, become a patron, get the discussion guide, open it up to friends and family to discuss further these episodes. We're excited to go on this journey with you. So thanks for joining us on Searching the Sacred. I mean, I think it gets back to that, where we started at the very, very beginning when we first read these five verses and we said, what's our first thought that comes to mind? And we just said, like, this is a really harsh reality of kind of what it means to be human. And I think we're, we've, we've, did a really deep dive for the past while to get into all the nuances of it. And I think what we're coming away with is that, yeah, it's just a really rough reality of there's pain in life. And we're only at verse two with their names, but it's telling us a story of pain and and that's sometimes where we find ourselves. In verse two,
1: there's a transition as well, where originally in verse one they were going to sojourn or become strangers ger in Moab, but then at the end of verse two, they haya there, they exist, they become, they 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 make their being reside there. So the language has shifted into more of a settled place. Like we're just Moabites now, we're not strangers anymore. Um, we're just we're there's sort of a feeling of there's not an intention to leave. Like we're, we have left something behind. It's been painful in, in the promised land. Let's go someplace new and let's become new people there. Um, because whatever we're leaving behind is too much. And let's try again someplace new and find a new existence. Ayaz is also the word for like to exist. So it sort of almost has this idea of like, they find a new existence in Moab, like they're starting over.
0: Well, and clearly they, they start over and do well enough. I mean, they're coming from a famine, so they couldn't have, you know, maybe they brought a lot with them. Maybe they didn't, we don't really know. We don't get an indication of that, but they apparently established themselves well enough or brought enough that the Moabites in that area had enough respect to be partnered with them with marriage, you know, cause that was more, it wasn't just a, falling in love type thing that was also a um you know for lack of like to be really insensitive it's it's a property it's uh you know it's a partnership of you know linking of your your family future to another family's future like there's a, a deep connection there with marriage and so apparently they were established enough that there was enough respect to uh build that connection even deeper
1: Notice when that happens. So in verse three to four, those marriages come to take place after what?
0: After the husband dies.
1: After a Limelech dies. So there's something. So whatever is the normal exchange of dowry is probably a little different because that those matches would be made generally through the patriarch. The patriarch has died. um, and so this question is, like, how are they finding these partners? Um, and the language in verse 4 about the sons is that they are taking wives.
2: Mm. And
1: so, Lisa, I'm going to let you quote the good Reverend Doctor. Well, uh, Reverend Doctor
3: Will Gaffney points to that the language, the word for that take is the same that's used in Judges uh, 21, verse 33, um, where the, like it's translated
2: as abducted. Um, like it is a yeah it,
1: it this isn't just So
0: basically a, ignore everything I just said.
1: Or we <laughs> oh, no. what we can do is we can leave room for both. We can right. say this is her particular This is wrestle and midrash. That's one interpretation. I mean, she's I, I do appreciate her perspective because she pulls in from
3: multiple intersections. Mm-hmm. Um but just she re, in that reminder of like it's not like we still are in patriarchy um, and to really situate Orpa and Ruth like correctly in this space of being like taken into marriage is not just like, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Mm-hmm. It is, I am taking you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 Like it just, I- it, it makes it, it's just, it's, and in judges, it's horrific.
2: hmm
1: And, and it wouldn't, and, and, and what we could say is it doesn't have to be this language. There's a great story that we could maybe do a podcast on another time. And in Genesis 24, um, where Rebecca is found. And in the case of Rebecca, she's given the choice to go with the servant or not to go marry Isaac. And that language for take isn't there they become husband and wife when she has the choice. So that might be another level that would sort of indicate that this may or may not have been Orpah and Ruth's choice. And so whether that was because they were respected and like this, you know, the parent, their parents like really supported this and there was a good dowry and Emelimelech had some means like that could be it. It could be some forceful in some other way, but we can kind of wrestle with like, how does it feel to be Orpah and Ruth marrying into this family? What are the personalities like of sickness and death? How are, how are they as husbands? What are, what do they bring to the world? And they're dwelling there. There, this is happening in verse four for 10 years. Um, before Mahlon and, and Kilion die. And what is there not in verse four after 10 Children. years? Kids. Children. So it's another way to kind of think about or interpret their names is there's something in them that's not bringing forth future life. Um, Now, that's maybe not the non-patriarchal assumption because usually it's the woman who's barren, but maybe there's room in the way this text is written to say sickness and death are not reproducing. That's a part of there's, there's goodness that's stopping with them and not going forward.
0: Well, we're right to assume that Ruth is capable of bearing children because she does later on.
1: Yes.
3: Although so, we we assume that. I don't know if in a patriarchal time you're assuming that because it's always the correct.
0: woman's fault. So, correct. It's always the woman's fault in a patriarchal society. Yeah. However, we know biologically seems that she's pretty capable later on. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. reason to believe that she's capable now. Mm-hmm. And it's not a Sarah situation where she was barren and then suddenly. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and maybe, I don't know, maybe the author is messing with the patriarchy a little bit by never calling Ruth or Orp a barren in this book. Yeah, they aren't named barren. They, and usually after 10 years, there'd be some language about the woman being named barren. And we have women who've been infertile for 10 years, and they're not named barren and the, their husbands are named sickness and death. So maybe there is a little bit of a, Maybe. Also,
3: also this could just be, they are also Moabites. And so, like, right, like in some ways, just remembering who they are in the story of, to not, to not like fix it faster than it happens. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we'll see as the book goes on how much emphasis is being placed on, um, like, if we fast forward to verse. Um, 22, Naomi returned and, and Ruth, the Moabitess, uh, returned from the country of Mo- like, notice how often Moabite or Moabitess is repeated. Like, it's like the author really wants everybody sort of like, we just, just to be real clear, this is Moabite, a Moabite has come to our land. Did you see there's a Moabite here? There's a Moabite here. <laughs> like that it's going to have this sort of unusually high emphasis of everybody's like, well, there's a Moabite, there's a Moabite, there's a Moabite. What do we do? There's a Moabite.
0: Yeah. I mean, it feels super intentional. And also, I kind of like it because (laughs) I think if we're getting back into like the, okay, this is wisdom literature. And so, what is that telling us? Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be telling us something really strong about how God views the other. And when we maybe had a conception of God saying, don't ever associate with these people ever because they didn't help you out. And now we hear the story over over and over and over and over and over again that there's a mobile 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 it's kind of like saying like okay i'm i'm up to something again and it's happening so get on board with it let's go mm-hmm.
1: oh can we allow things to shift and change can we keep our eyes open to the story of the other not being what we thought it was
0: there's a good discussion question in that right there <laughs> for you
1: so when we get to first
2: Five. who's
1: left
0: Naomi and the two, the two uh, daughters-in-law
1: so we in all of this story of loss it's just worth pausing to say we have an Israelite widow living in Moab with her two daughters-in-law who are both Moabites and what? widows And widows. We have one Israelite widow and her two daughters-in-law who are two Moabite widows. Let's think about what that means for each of them and all of them in a patriarchal ancient society. What position are they in?
2: I mean, it's about as bad as it gets, right? I mean, you don't have
0: many rights. You don't have Many freedoms and i mean it, it's it's all it's near near hopeless
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you're you're really between a rock and a hard place because not only are you all widows, you're all widows from two different cultures and people groups and religions of like where do you go for help, how do you navigate how do you navigate this? do you stay together do you separate do you Where do you find those resources? Do you go back to Orpah and Ruth's house? Do you?
3: Well, it's also like, it's, it's that on top of like age and your ability to produce. Mm -hmm. So like Naomi is too old. So like there's an age thing happening there. And for the women, they have not produced children. So whether we know they eventually will at this stage, they have not. So there's like this complexity in it, not only just being, I don't know, I feel like I feel women of color name, like being, being the least thought of, but then adding all the uh, like, it's like adding everything that makes it difficult to be human and lumping it onto this group because they're a group. They might even be better off being individual.
0: Um, Which is what Naomi because, does, Right. Right. Naomi recognizes that they're better off not doing this together because it's not going to work out for somebody. Like it really, it really shouldn't work out for somebody because you're either going to be a widow in a foreign land um, or you're going to be a widow in your own land. And, and, and so it's better to be a widow in your own land with your own family to hopefully help you as opposed to a widow in a foreign land. And so she makes that decision to say, you guys should go back to your family Hopefully, not knowing. I mean, we don't know the Moabite customs. Maybe they can remarry. Maybe they can't. We don't know. But like, um, you know, she's hopeful that they can and they can be provided for. But yeah, I mean, I think separate is the smart route. Mm
2: -hmm. Which actually says a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, when is it actually better to be without a person? Mm -hmm. When it comes to survival and. I don't know. Like that just feels like when it reminds me of is
1: is people in poverty. Um, my undergrads in social work. So we would talk about like social services and helping people receive the social services they need and people in poverty are better off not getting married actually. Yeah. Because when they get married, it actually reduces the things available to them. It does not help people in poverty to get married. It hurts them financially. And so we had to have classes to talk about our own like judgment, like that we might have towards somebody based on our own context of what right and wrong looks like and push us to put ourselves in their shoes of like, we are just living paycheck to paycheck. We can't afford any cuts. And if we get married, we actually lose money. Um, but for a lot of us from a different socioeconomic place than that, it helps us to get married financially. If and, and then there are other people where marriage hasn't even been accessible for a long time because it's been, um, you know, held in this cis- heterosexual place. But but like to say it's help doesn't always come in the form we think it comes in, and part of that is is the way that we see things through our own privilege of like oh in my life it helped to do this it helped to partner. Mm partnership doesn't always look the way we think it will look in a way that's actually helpful when you're actually desperate. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I really appreciate that. The text, you, obviously it, it tends to, or at least our reading of the text tends to, to very much glorify or appreciate Ruth's decision to stay with Naomi and to make this hard decision to like go into a foreign land that she's never been to. And as a widow, not knowing what's coming next. But the text also doesn't shame Orpah for not doing that. And like, I love that the text points out that they both wept when Naomi made the decision to go back, knowing that that was going to cause some form of pain for somebody. And I just think it's such a generous text towards the impossibility of the decisions that these women were facing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I just, I, I really, yeah, I really appreciate that
2: because mm-hmm.
0: it'd be easy to turn this into like, uh, we should all be like Ruth. No one should be like Orpa because mm-hmm. she abandoned Naomi. No, no, that's not what this text is saying. Let's mm-hmm. not do that.
1: The whole thing allows room for complicated decision making. And again, going back to what is right in everyone's eyes, like God isn't speaking and telling people what to do. That doesn't mean people don't have intuition or the spirit isn't present, but they're having to figure it out and they're each figuring it out in their own way and saying, okay, what do we, what do we do to survive? Where is God? What is, where is provision? Like each person is asking that question for themselves. I mean, the weeping is kind of a jump
3: ahead, but that means I'm just noticing, as you said that Jason, I was like, yeah, it's interesting though. They don't mention any type of mourning in the other deaths. Mm. like mourning isn't mentioned until the women have to say goodbye to each other Mm. like it's like suddenly then the story slows way
1: down Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah i think that's a beautiful thing to notice is the the relationships between these women as we go forward and what has happened to forge them that they're weeping for each other and what was it like before that they weren't weeping and this really takes us into verse six which we didn't Read, but we're kind of saying this, it's worth just saying it explicitly that verse six puts Naomi in a position that hasn't happened yet, which is now in verse six, if it is just her and her daughter's in law, she is now the decision maker. As much as things are vulnerable and, and hard in a patriarchal culture, this is the only time she's the decision maker is when it's a house full of widows. And so we get to see in a new way what these widows are doing when they have the autonomy to make their own decisions. Where do they want to go? What do they want to do? Who do they love? What, who, where are they looking for life? We haven't gotten to see them yet because the, the men have been making the decisions. Now we get to see the women making decisions. And we get to see in verse six that when Naomi is in that role, the first thing it's saying about her is that she hears That the Lord has brought bread, which brings us back to verse one. And like when Naomi is listening, she's hearing something different than what the reality was. So what if what if a whole nother kind of narrative to add to those five verses is that they never had to leave? It was how Elimelech was seeing it. Maybe it was never how Naomi was seeing it. Maybe Elimelech named his kids. Maybe Elimelech dragged Naomi out. And when Naomi's in this position of making a decision, she's like, "I hear that I hear that God is with the people. I hear there's bread. Like I want to go where God is."
0: So, we've navigated our way through the first kind of five verses, and we're moving into this moment where the the women are on their own. And We've started to talk about what Naomi's choosing to do, what she's hearing, and then what choices will be made. And to kind of set us up for this next iteration of the book of Ruth, Lisa's going to read to us verses 6 through 9 or 10 to kind of get us headed in this direction. All right.
3: Um, Verse 6. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her,
2: No, we will return with you to your people. So I love verse six because I think, like, I think about what it takes
1: for, in the ancient world, what it takes for Naomi to hear that the living presence has visited her people. So she's in Moab, which is that was journeyed to get there. And she's hearing that the living presence has visited her people in Bethlehem and that, she's, that, the, that there's bread, which they had left the house of bread. But I'm just thinking about all it takes to hear that. Like, not just like logistically, though logistically, that's also a thing. Like what it takes to stay open to that after all of this sorrow and loss that we read about and all of this distance and all of this, everything like for her to hear feels unique and powerful to me. Like, I don't know if I would hear, I think I I don't, I feel like I would maybe be more cynical or something would be blocked.
0: Or maybe it's the opposite. Like maybe it's, there's been so much pain, and you've left your community. You're in this land of the Moabites. You have, you know, your husband passes away. You get these women to marry your sons, and then 10 years go by. There's no grandchildren. They end up dying. And maybe you're like, man, I need an answer. This it's just gotten worse and worse and worse and what is the what is what is the living presence up to and maybe she's like primed to hear
3: i Uh, actually for me i'm less impressed with the fact that she hears but that she trusts the people (laughs)
2: yeah
3: (laughs) like i don't i don't know if it's even like i'm like i'm actually curious if her You know, like, it's the return that feels dicey. I don't know. I'm not sure how
2: Naomi's experiencing the living presence here. Mm -hmm. But I'm, yeah, to go back to those people. Mm -hmm. Especially the way she has to go back. She's not going back on top. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the energy of hearing and of being willing to Stand up and return. That's a big decision to stand up and to return.
1: And then in verse seven, to actually start making that journey. She and her two daughters-in-law start making that journey to Judah. But then verse eight, they start making the journey, but then Naomi does what?
3: Well, in a lot of ways, like, right. I mean, it's interesting that after like we kind of ended like verse six talking about how like for the first time, like Naomi has autonomy in her life. She can make, she's making the decision. She's the decision maker. And what
2: seems to be happening is like, she makes a decision on her way. And it's like this pause of like,
3: these girls need to make a decision. Like she doesn't just hold her decision for. as not as like she steps into the power and says, I'm going to decide for everybody. And this is what we're doing. And
2: everybody's. <laughs> she almost opens up that power and says, I want you to also be autonomous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like
1: you pick. How you want to do this. What are the consequences to her of choosing to decide things in that way of also giving autonomy to her daughters-in-law.
0: I mean, what we know in the story, for anyone that knows the story of Ruth, the book of Ruth, is that eventually Ruth is going to get married. And then Boaz, because of the patriarchal system that we find ourselves in, will not only be providing for Ruth, but will also be providing for Naomi. And so if she goes back without Ruth, and without Orpa, and she's too old to remarry and have children. She's really going back with like nothing like, and not only nothing in her possession, but nothing in her prospects of provision. And so she's risking a lot by offering them the opportunity to make a decision for themselves to go back home or to stay with her. I mean, cause the smart thing to do is to just say you're coming with me and I'm going to find you the nearest relative that is supposed to marry you so that we can be provided for. That is my job. Now that is your job. Now that's what we're doing. And she doesn't do that.
3: And maybe, I mean, sh- sh- there's a risk in offering people choice. They may not choose what you want them to choose. Right. So maybe she wants them to choose. I mean, she- and really what happened, they- Orprah and Ruth choose different things as humans are wont to do. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's a particular way. And maybe in some ways, like, there's a have you ever given people a choice and then hoped <laughs> that they would make a certain choice? Like, maybe she hopes they don't go with. Like, maybe it's actually easier for her to go back into Israel and hope for people to care for her because she is an Israelite. True. This is my people. You know me. Versus, Hey, you know me. And also I've got a couple of gals with me that married my son. They happen to be Moabites, but would you take us all in? Right. Like to make space for one feels different than making space for three. Mm-hmm. Um, But I I mean, I feel like there's a whole lot of things that could be happening. Like maybe it's all out of generosity and kindness and maybe it's also out of like self preservation and. Yeah.
1: And and the reality is not only is it about what, where they'll land on the other side of things, but the journey, like this journey, whether they go or not, or whoever goes, it's, it's like over a hundred miles. We're not, this is not a small journey. It's like, it's over a hundred miles walking. It's doable, but it's not short. And so if Naomi goes by herself, that puts her at more risk. She's more vulnerable. Maybe, maybe she's more vulnerable with the girls with her, but also like, how are any of them going to find food on the road? But like, by giving them autonomy, like, like if, if they both choose to stay behind, then Naomi's making that journey all by herself. I don't know if I would want to make that journey all by myself. Mm -hmm. Intimidating. Maybe other people would like traveling by themselves more. I would feel (laughs) nervous. (laughs) I would want a little support.
3: Well, I feel like most women, if they do travel by themselves, they're very aware that they're by themselves and then make decisions differently because they are by themselves.
1: Yeah. I'm thinking like if at least one person goes with, then someone can keep watch while the other person sleeps kind of pattern and like watch out for each other versus just being alone, traveling. In the ancient realm, so whatever her motivation, like good, bad, like she does, give them choice.
0: And, and I think that's one of the most just amazing moments. And and Lisa, you of course pointed it out a little while ago, but like the fact that when she finally has autonomy to make decisions for herself, she turns around and gives that autonomy away. And how many of us never think to give that type of power away in the hands of someone else when? it would be just easier in, and, and likely more beneficial if we just determined the future for others because it suits our, our own needs.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I mean, I think it's such a, that's such a small moment, but it's such a huge, huge thing in this story.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I love Not only that she gives them choice, but how she gives them choice, what she says to them. So let's look at some of the language in verse eight and nine. Um, So she says, go and return or turn back. It's a shuv. It's the same word that was being used for her turning back to Judah. To your mother's house. And the Lord, the living presence, the specific name of God for her people.
2: Make or
1: give you or fashion chesed with you. So um, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So she's saying something really significant here. She's saying her blessing is that God brings them chesed in the same way that they have brought chesed to her sons and to her chesed is a very specific Hebrew word about faithfulness, mercy, compassion related to covenant faithfulness. Lisa, do you have that definition handy from the book?
3: Yeah, so Carolyn Custis James, um, her book, "Fighting God in the Margins. Um, co- bear with me as I read the description. No word in the English language captures, it, captures its exact meaning. Consequently, we end up with a smorgasbord of words like kindness, mercy, loyalty, loving kindness, loyal steadfast, unfailing, or just plain love. Words that certainly touch on what Hasid means, but by themselves, they don't do justice in this powerful, richly laden word. As a result, we easily skim over references to Hassed without realizing what we have just stumbled over on one of the, is one of the most potent words in the Old Testament. With a little help from Hebrew scholars, we can come a little closer to the meaning of hased. They tell us hased is a strong Hebrew word that sums up the ideal lifestyle for God's people. It's the way God intended for human beings to live together from the beginning. The love your neighbor as yourself brand of living. An active, selfless, sacrificial caring for one another that goes against the grain of our fallen natures. Two parties are involved. Someone in desperate need and a second person who possesses the power and resources to make a difference. set is driven not by duty or legal obligation, but by a bone deep commitment, a loyal, selfless love that motivates a person to do voluntarily, but no one has a right to expect or ask of them. They have the freedom to act or to walk away without the slightest injury to the reputation. Yet they willingly pour themselves out for the good of someone else It's actually the kind of love we find most fully expressed in Jesus. In a nutshell, chesed is the gospel lived out.
2: That's good stuff.
3: I like, (laughs) I have yet to have read a better description of that word.
1: And, And now let's think about what Naomi is saying here. Then using this significant word in this way, may the living presence be chesed with you. As you have done that with my children and me, what is she naming in her
2: Moabite daughters-in-law?
0: That they're the embodiment of what God intends for human relationship.
1: This is no small thing that she's saying. You are the embodiment. Say that again the way you just said it, Jason.
0: They're the embodiment of what God intends for human relationship. and she's not saying that to ruth she's saying that to ruth and orpa so again i you know like i think we tend to glorify ruth and rightfully so the book's named after her all the good stuff that she does orpa is also being named this way and i think it's really important to point that out
1: She blesses both of them with this beautiful, specific word. You have been this way to me. You have been God to me in this very faithful, embodied, beautiful, merciful, kind, loving way. May God now do that with you in your life, wherever your life takes you, and repay you with that same sort of treatment that you have treated me.
3: Well, I mean, and in lots of ways. I mean, Naomi is a stranger in a foreign land. Like Like, that is... Like, so often, like, the Bible points to how we care for the widow, how we care for the, the stranger or immigrant, like, how whatever language we want to put, like, how we want to interpret that word. But, like, that is who, you know, is, and where she is then experiencing God's care is through two women who are Moabite women. Like, I wonder, I like, I actually wonder, like, if that's what gives her the, like, the hope, like. It's a, it's a crazy kind of hope to hope that you can go back and people will be
2: okay, that you'll be re- like received. Will the people in the land of the house of bread show
1: you chesed when you show mm. them? Okay. That's an interesting challenge as well. And like something to take through this study. She has experienced chesed in Moab from these two women. Will she experience chesed in Bethlehem back in the place that in theory is the promised land where God's people dwell with God are they living out chesed in the same way that these Moabite women have lived it out and if not what does that say about the state of things and what does it say about God and covenant and all of that that this this way of living is in Moab not just in the promised land Here's God's presence being shown through these women in this other place
0: well and i and I think you know we 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 can read a lot into this and and which is which is beautiful and good i I think what it what it could be you know if we're gonna dance with it a little bit, we're not overly um reliant upon religiosity, right she's noticing she's noticing the hased and the the beauty of covenantal relationship wherever it's found not just by the people that have been given the law not just by the people who say the right words do the right rituals sacrifice the right things you know do it at the right time in the right way she's noticing it and blessing it and honoring it and i i to me one of the problems with christianity and one of the problems with modern religion is that we don't just name and bless what just is spirit being present what is love and shalom and has said being present instead we only will name it that way and honor it if it also talks like us looks like us quacks like us you know does all the things like us um then we'll say oh and also it's so great that you're really kind to your neighbor um mm-hmm. as opposed to like i'm sorry the whole point is that we're kind to our neighbor <laughs> like
2: right. well love, God, it,
0: love others like this it, is not hard like point it out when it's there it's there and
1: um Jesus several times quotes Hosea 6.6. Hosea 6.6 is, I have desired chesed, not sacrifice. So -hmm. exactly what you were just saying. It's, Mm -hmm. oh, chesed has always been central. Sacrifice is a way that you show chesed. It's never been this. The religiosity is never the center. The religiosity is meant to be the expression of chesed, which is the center. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's get the right thing. Put the put the right thing in that right spot it's always right. been that I mean, we could get
0: way off track because like the woman at the well you know like she has this moment with Jesus about living water and like you know Jesus is you know talking to her about it and then all of a sudden she's like well where should we worship you say we should worship in the temple in Jerusalem our people say we should worship on the mountain and his response is like I'm sorry like who cares like we worship in spirit and truth that's what we're that that's what we're supposed to be doing stop doing the religious thing and get to doing the the living thing, right? The 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 said, and the the kindness and, and so anyway, I just yeah, we this this is such an important moment. Um I, I love that we're uh dwelling on this for a minute.
1: Well and actually I I'll go to that story for a second with you because I I I I wonder in that story if Jesus is actually doing something deeper than we tend to give him credit for, which is trying to be a part of healing these multi-generational wounds between the Samaritan people and the Judai people of Judah. And that this idea of where you worship wasn't just a question. It was actually based on the fact that Samaria was the capital of the Northern kingdom of Israel and Jerusalem was capital of the Southern kingdom of Judah. So since the kingdom split that happened after the time of David, they have worshiped in two different spots and have become others to one another. And what if Jesus in that conversation is saying, stop, it's not, no, there is no other. We're all one in a way that does tie in with these passages of like how often in the Bible is is God saying like stop seeing it that way,
2: yeah.
3: Like
1: move towards healing with this people group that you've othered, right? Yep. Well, because and in the story, what we
3: expect through a Christian lens is often I find well we I is that it would be that these Moabite women would see in Ruth the chesed, right? Yeah. She's offering it.
2: Yep.
3: It's like the idea, like, like, and actually take note that it's not that the Israelites, it's actually not that anybody who follows God has the market on chesed.
2: Mm-hmm. Can you see it where it is? Can
1: you see chesed where it is? Especially maybe if that's not where you expect it to be.
0: Might be why Jesus is constantly saying, May they have eyes to see and ears to hear, because there's actually spirit, truth, love, has said
2: all around us.
1: So Naomi gives this giant blessing to them in using this word and tells them to go back to their mother's house and wishes for them to find husbands through going back to their mother's houses.
2: And then everybody cries.
1: What do you hear in that wish to go back to their mother's houses and find husbands?
0: I just think there's such a generosity. There's a generosity because they've been with her for 10 years. They've gone through so much together. They clearly have a deep connection. They've. We've, she's saying she's seen this covenant, idyllic, relational beauty. And yet she's generously saying, I want that kindness to go with you. And if it needs to go with you to your mother's house so that you can find safety in this world, then go. And it's, and she's putting them in the hands of someone else too, which, I think is really like amazing and, and trusting that someone else will love them well, because clearly she does. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a very generous moment.
3: Well, it's really interesting that she chooses the language of mother. Yes. Mother's house. Um, I think I would expect to see father's house. Cause I, well, women don't own houses. <laughs> like that's just true. Uh, women don't really own a house. So to go back to your mother's house, either we're talking about, I don't know, but also like I, for the first time I just, I'm like, Oh, what if actually that's part of these women's story that they came from homes where maybe they didn't like, maybe the reason that these women married these immigrant Israelites is that they actually didn't have it. Like, what if all the men in their family were gone? Mm-hmm. Like, what if they just came from a family of women that put them at, at risk or availability for that? Um, I wonder, um, I mean, in lots of ways, Naomi is a figure. She is the only mother they
2: have now. Like, they, she is, they've joined her family. And so is Naomi offering, like, is she offering to continue as, like, you could, I could be your mother
3: if you would like, I'm not going to say I have to be your mother, Mm -hmm. but I could be your mother
2: or you can choose your mother. Like you can go there too. Like, Mm -hmm. what do you need? Who do you need as a, as a,
1: who do you need? And she's in that act of, um, I see that, that, that idea of choosing your mother starts to come back in later when we see the language around Ruth staying, but even, even just this idea of release, what's coming to mind is, um, the story of Tamar and Judah back in the book of Genesis. What Judah does that is so unjust to Tamar is his sons have both died. He's got two sons that died in their marriage to her. And then he's got one son left who's younger And so his job is to have that younger son, marry Tamar, but he's nervous that that younger son will also die. So he doesn't want to do it. And so he's got a choice as patriarch in that moment. If he doesn't want to do that, what he could do is release her back to her father's house. Because in marrying her, his son, she became a part of his household. So Ruth and Orpa, as a part of marrying these two boys, became a part of Naomi and Elimelech's household. She left her household. What Judah doesn't do is release Tamar to go back. He keeps her under his household without offering her a new spouse. And so she is completely trapped to be a widow the rest of her life. What Naomi is doing is the exact opposite. I have a widow inside my house. I have two widows inside my house because now my house, I'm not going, I could keep them trapped with me. Instead, I'm going to release them back to their family so that they can find another household to join with. I'm going to release them from being joined to my household so that they are more free. Um, and so I'm thinking, I'm actually thinking like, oh, Naomi's more righteous than Judah. I just that's like, that, like my brain was like, that is crazy that it's Judah, <laughs> and that's like this is
3: actually where like it is Bethlehem of Judah, like we've already been keyed into Judah,
1: mm-hmm. and Naomi is doing what Judah didn't do, which Judah then Tamar calls Judah out on it, like that that whole story, and she, and Judah says to Tamar, you are more righteous than I in that story, and it feels like we're sort of being set up to see like. Naomi's also more righteous than Judah. Like she's doing that thing that he couldn't do. She's not afraid of it. You, mm-hmm. God will provide for you. God will provide for me. I'm not going to trap you here. Like you make your choice. Chesed is with all of us. And so the first response to that, her, her giving them this choice, and maybe it's even because she says such beautiful things in verse ten. They both say what.
0: No, we will return with you to your people.
1: No, we're we're with you. Like, especially after you're so lovely, like, why would we leave you? And then she emphasizes, again, that thing that, like, if they stayed with her, the way that she would provide for them is to give them sons, but she doesn't have any. So in verse um, 11 and 12, she says, like, I can't bear any more sons. So if you stay with me, you're tied to the wrong place. Like I can't, you'll, if you stay with me, you'll be stuck as a widow because I can't give you any more sons. And because you're a widow, you won't be able to marry because I have, like, if you stay with me, you're staying trapped as a widow. So go, (laughs) don't trap yourself.
2: Your life's in front of you.
0: And, and I think we have to remember though, that this is Naomi reading the situation this isn't like mandated on high from heaven like god saying if you stay with naomi you will be trapped as widows forever so it's smart to go back you know like this is naomi's read of the situation and it's it's a beautiful moment of her giving them choice but she's also really negative about like the living presence has left me like there's no hope here, so there's no point in staying with me. And, and and ultimately that's gonna bear out to not be true, right? Like she's not accurate in that. And well, even though like I think feeling is very real and, and the situation is very real, it's it's not entirely predictive of what is going to happen or could happen.
3: I mean it probably means we have to study Boaz a little bit more, but just Naomi doesn't know for
0: sure what will happen. No, like no, but she's acting like, like Kinsman
3: it. Redeemer is a little bit tricky, and so like I like it feels like that stuff doesn't really come into play. Like we, we'll save that for another part of this season,
0: or in, in about like you know seven ten. hours. Yes,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, because remember, remember though, it's been fifteen years or so, or I mean, it was ten years. I just think there was probably like ten to fifteen. So. Okay. I, the reality is all she's heard is there's bread. She may or may not know who's left there. How, did a bunch of people die in the famine? Were we the only people that left? Is there anybody left there that I know? Like there might be big question marks that she doesn't have the answer to in terms of what she's going back to. Um, And, and maybe what is it to sort of say to somebody else, like what's possible if you do this with me? Is that there's nothing on the other side?
2: Are you are you sure you still want to come? Because that yeah.
3: is a
1: possibility. She's not wrong,
2: and and it's not been great. <laughs> right?
3: Like I don't know how confident I would be. Like everything's going to work out at this. And we know like how how Naomi comes back in.
2: Like there is she has lived through God, like awful. Whatever it is, it's awful. So then to like, <laughs> to like hope that like things are going to turn around.
3: <laughs> Feels like that might be, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Guy, but, I,
2: I, I, and
0: I, I think mean, it is, maybe it maybe is too much. It is too much to ask her to be hopeful. And I, I would never expect someone to experience the tragedy and the pain that she's experienced to like put on a big old smile and say, don't worry, it's all going to turn around. I have hope. No, not at all. Um, but, but like the way she's describing it, um, is, is obviously hopeless and that the Lord has cursed her and, um, yeah. And so I I think that she's painting it a certain way because she has to, because she's, that's all she knows. Um, but it's also not fully accurate you know, and, and that's part of people's, that's part of pain, right? Anytime we go through pain on a tragic level, we only can see through that lens very limitedly. I mean, we can't see the hope on the other side or the possibility. We don't want to hold out for it because we don't want to be let down one more time. And so like, I don't blame Naomi here. I'm just saying like, there's, there is more than one way to approach this moment. And, and Ruth does approach it differently. You know, we're going to see her have hope, Um, you know, whether it's just hope through loyalty or whether it's hope that they'll be okay. Like whatever she has, she has some hope Um, where Naomi can't.
1: Well, I, I mean, it's maybe another study for another time is thinking about how we think about hope. Um, But I'm, I kind of want another word here because we tend to associate faith or hope with positive feelings or positive language. I believe God's going to turn everything around. Whereas here, what we say, Naomi, is forward action. She hears that the Lord has visited people. She And so she decides to go forth to where that spot is, even though she doesn't know how it's going to turn out, even though things have been bad thus far, she is taking the action of walking, of turning, of trying something. What is like, what if that's actually what faith looks like, that it's not feeling like I'm so trustworthy that everything's going to turn out. God's always got my back, but it's more like I'm going to walk it. I'm going to try it. I'm going to turn. I'm going to move like she's action oriented with some real honest language about things not turning out, but that I I want to give her credit for like, that's sort of giving us this glimpse of the inner world while she's still taking forward action. And what is it to do it anyway, to do it scared, to do it cynical, to do it
0: mad. I mean it's superhuman, right? I mean like like I think at some level Naomi is the most one of the most human characters we get just trying to survive.
3: And she kind of names like if I had hope. Like she doesn't have hope. She uses Tikva and like saying like if I had it. <laughs> but like like, it actually, it, I, it's actually a curious thing for me to think about of, like, God, what if she didn't hope for anything going back?
1: <laughs> like, she's just going back. And what if that's enough? What if it's enough just to make the turn and walk? Hard here, hard there.
3: I'll take that hard. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, this concludes episode two of our series on Ruth. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation so far. We look forward to seeing you next week on Searching the Sacred. Have a great week, everyone.